Did you hear that? I hope you were engaged while hearing the Word of God, because I said this last week, but I might say it a lot, the Word of God is living and active and relevant to you and me today. Do you believe that? So as Louis read from God's Word, I hope you were engaged. Can you imagine those first few verses? You're there by the the edge of the Sea of Galilee. All these people are flocking to Jesus. So many people are following Jesus around. They're so excited about his miracles. They've seen him cast out demons and perform these miracles. And there's so many people there that Jesus says to his friends, get a boat. And at first I was thinking, is this like an escape route? No, it's not an escape route. Uh, he is preparing for what he's going to do actually in the next passage of Scripture that we'll study together um, next Sunday. But he's saying, get a boat ready. There's so many people. He's going to need to teach from the boat in the water so the crowd doesn't crush him. We've got to put ourselves in the Scripture, right? Jesus, the God-man is there and people want to know what he's all about and I hope that's why you're here this morning is we too want to know what Jesus the God-man is all about and what he's calling us to. So, good morning church family. How are we doing? My name is Derek and uh, we're going to study God's word together now and uh, it is a good opportunity for us to do that together as we gather each and every Sunday. Um, here's the plan for this morning, a little different. We have, as you heard, read. There's a lot of verses with a lot of good stuff going on in the passage we want to cover this morning, and we're not going to attempt to cover it all in detail. Everybody go, whew, Derek preaches long enough as it is. There's, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to go over a couple of things really quickly from what Louis just read from God's Word to us just to to mention a couple of things I want to make clear, but then really we're actually going to spend some additional time in the few verses right after what he read. The end of chapter 3 is what we're going to um, actually spend a little bit more of our time on this morning. So uh, first, if you got your finger in the text, I hope you leave your Bibles open. Mark chapter 3, follow along there. We want to hear from God this morning, and, and that's through his word. Uh, So in verses 13 through 19, we are introduced to all 12 disciples, all 12 of these uh, closest friends of Jesus while Jesus walked the earth. And uh, I just, the thing I want to point out here is that if we had the time to talk about each of the 12 and their background and what they were all about and what their experiences were in and what kind of people they were, you would find this is an incredibly diverse group of guys. This, This group of 12 there's a huge variety here, and the variety uh, includes Jesus bringing together people from really different backgrounds. And one, just one example I'll give really quick is two guys from extreme polar opposite ends of the political spectrum. In the same group of 12, the, his same best friends in these closest followers of Jesus, you have Matthew, who worked for the Roman government, and was despised for it. And in the same group, you've got uh, the zealot who would have been desiring to overthrow the Roman government. You couldn't get more opposite politically than these two. But Jesus unites people, doesn't he? 
and not just politics divide, where other things can divide, where race, where culture, where socioeconomic status, where our vocations, where even our interests and hobbies can sometimes divide, Jesus, the God-man, brings people together. And we have to find harmony. We must, I think, find unity and harmony in Jesus as we join him on his mission to the world. Jesus brought quite a unique group of guys together. And I want you to notice this about that section of verses. The disciples were with Jesus, and then he sent them out. They didn't just hang out with Jesus on and on and on indefinitely. They were with Jesus, which was an important step. They knew Jesus, and then they were sent out. Because Jesus wants to work in and through everyday folks like you and me. Jesus wants to be with us and send us out. He wants to work in everyday folks so we can proclaim with his help the good news of what Jesus has done in our words and actions to a world who desperately needs it. Jesus wants us to be with him and then be sent out. And uh, speaking of being with him and then being sent out, speaking of some everyday folk, here you've got a picture of our uh, Uganda team. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have them up here, get to meet them, get to pray for them before they head off to Uganda. And uh, these are, are some of our great church family who are obeying the call to go and share God's love and the good news of Jesus uh, with the least of these and with some great folks in Uganda. And I just want to make sure, I want to take a minute just to make sure you're aware of this so that you can prepare yourselves, so you can prayerfully consider this opportunity. We as a church family, and we're going to talk a lot in a few minutes about being a church family, we as a church family have an opportunity next Sunday to be part of the sending of this team. Uh, I want you to just know that ahead of time that there'll be a special offering next Sunday um, where we have an opportunity to help this team complete their financial goals. The, the team is, uh, the cost is going to be almost $30,000, and they only need about 5000 more. God has already done a great work, and they have already done the hard work of raising these funds, and we get to help be a part of finishing that off next Sunday. So if uh, that's something that God leads you to do, we would love to have you come next Sunday prepared to give over and above what you already uh, give so generously and sacrificially to the work that God is doing in and through Faith Free Church. So that'll be next Sunday. Verses 22 to 27, Jesus uh, is accused here of being possessed by Satan, and it's almost like his answer is, is saying, that doesn't make sense. In verse 23, he says, Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And he's right, of course. Satan cannot stand. The kingdom of God, however, has come and is being established. We've talked about this in recent weeks. The kingdom of God, with Jesus' arrival, is the arrival of the kingdom. The reign, God's rule and reign is being established, and part of that means that the work of Satan, the evil one, is being overcome. In those following verses there, Jesus is saying about his miracles, he's really using his miracles as an example to say, you know what, there's this sort of strong man, the evil one, Satan, but he's been overcome by the real strong man, the God-man, 
me, Jesus is saying. And then those, those, you see in those verses there that, that that weak, that measly strong man, having been overcome by Jesus, Jesus now goes through Satan's house, taking away the devil's work. Uh, reality here is there is an invisible battle between good and evil that we must be aware of, that we must not take lightly. There is a real spiritual battle going on, but friends, just to make sure you know, the kingdom of God is advancing. And for now, that means that the power and, and the activity of the evil one is limited, already limited by our great and sovereign God. Okay? And eventually, completely defeated, the, the defeat, the, the utter demise of, this, of the evil one, of Satan, is already assured, already secured. Because the kingdom of God is advancing. So then we have verses 28 through 30. Um, and what you may have heard referred to as the unforgivable sin. And I just want to say this first, before we even look at those verses a little more carefully, let me just say this, that some of you may have been taught at some point or been given the impression that suicide, that taking one's own life, was, was the unforgivable sin. That is not what this passage is about, and I don't think the Bible teaches that. While suicide is, is a tragedy, awful, sad, um, and while it does go against uh, God's good purposes, it goes against his view, the value of, of human life, while that is true, we know, we know, we need to know that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus brings about forgiveness from all of our sins, past, present, and future. So instead of debating, in these sad situations we find ourselves in sometimes, pondering someone taking their own life, instead of debating their eternal destiny, let's use it as an opportunity to take God's love to a world who so desperately needs it. Let's take the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with the people in our lives. So that's something that this passage does not teach. What does it teach? To see what it teaches, we keep our finger in the text. Verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven and the, chil uh, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And, they were, and Jesus said this was because they were saying about him, he has a demon, he has an unclean spirit. The Bible is clear about Jesus. Jesus doesn't come to us in the words of Scripture and say to you and I, Hey, uh, my name's Jesus. Follow me. I'm one of the really good ways you can come and meet God. That's not what Jesus says. But rather, Jesus in the Bible comes to us and boldly asserts that a person's eternal fate, whether they end up in eternal hell 
or eternal heaven in the presence of God. Jesus doesn't say, I'm one of the options. You can find God through me. Jesus boldly asserts in the, in the pages of Scripture that your eternal destiny and that of those around you that need him, that their eternal destiny is wrapped up in our view of who he is and who he is in our lives. So, what's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit then would be if a person is continually, willfully, decisively rejecting what God is putting in front of them. The Holy Spirit's whole job, the Scripture tells us that the Spirit's job is to point to Jesus. All of the Holy Spirit, God himself, the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit's role is to point to and glorify Jesus. And so if someone hears what the Spirit is revealing to them about Jesus, that he is the God-man, that he is God himself, that he is Lord and Savior, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to find life eternal, if someone willfully, continually, decisively rejects what the Spirit is testifying to, they will never experience forgiveness. Christians sometimes, though, still worry that this could be them. If you're a follower of Jesus and you, and you, and you wonder sometimes, man, I, I, in, a, in a bad moment, in frustration or in sadness, in haste, I, I muttered some, some words about Jesus. You know, it, it, did I commit the, the, the ultimate sin? No. Those are things that are forgiven because of Jesus. It's this continual hard-heartedness and rejection that's in view in our passage. So just some light, fluffy, rosy topics this morning here at Faith Free Church. Everybody go, little exhale there, okay. Sometimes God's word's intense, but we need to be in it, and we need to hear from it. So now we've come to where um, Louis left off. We're at verse 31, Mark chapter 3, verse 31. And Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and they were standing outside, and they sent to Jesus, and they called him because of the crowd was sitting around him. And so the crowd said to him, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? This is a little startling at first. Seems like he's kind of setting his family aside. And then the verse 34 describes what Jesus does next. Verse 34, And looking about as the, at those who sat around him, almost like as if me doing this with you, looking about at those who sat around him, perhaps even gesturing like this, Jesus said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In fact, we're going to put that verse on the screen right now, and I'm going to ask you to read it with me aloud. Jesus speaking, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is saying, followers of Jesus, obey Jesus. Followers of Jesus uh, do God's will. And therefore, that's who a family is. That's who our family is. As we've been studying the God-man series, I've been asking you over and over, followers of Jesus, do what? 
followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Part of followers of Jesus following Jesus is doing God's will, obeying God. And verse 35 is saying that when we obey God, when we're a follower of Jesus, we gain family members. And lots of them. And this is a cool thing. Jesus is not saying, hey, we sever our, 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 our you know, immediate family relationships. Jesus is not saying, okay, just totally disregard the family you live with or that you've grown up with or whatever. Jesus is simply emphasizing the importance of, the significance of the community of Jesus, of the community of faith that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, this is an encouragement. If you're, if you're kind of immediate family, the family you live with, the family you've grown up with, the family you maybe don't have, if that family is lacking or if that family has unbelievers in it, this should be an encouragement because take heart, your family is a whole lot bigger than that. What's the, what's the old Lone Ranger theme song? These words don't give us reason to be a Lone Ranger Christian. Jesus said, who are my brothers and mother? He's not rejecting them. He's not giving us license to live the Christian life on our own. He's not saying, oh, you don't need family relationships. That's not what's happening here. There is no such thing as a There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Christians live in community with other Christians. And if if you think, hey, Jesus is pretty cool. I want to follow Jesus, but hey, man, those people at church, woo! There is no such thing as following Jesus and rejecting his bride. The bride is another way the Bible refers to the church. There is no following Jesus and rejecting the church. It's part of the deal. Um, some of you have told me that you, um, since my family and I uh, arrived here in the last few months, some of you have told me, you know, wow, I have, I have always lived here. This is the, I've, I'm from Dallas. I grew up in Dallas. I'm still in Dallas. Some of you have said, you know, I've only lived a couple of places in my life. I, I, I can't imagine the move that you guys just moved 1,200 miles. I, I don't know how you left family and friends. I've had multiple conversations with many of you about that. And, you know, I would be lying if I said it hasn't had its tough moments. But you know what's made it easy? Family. It's crazy. From our first visit here in January, the six of us, instant family, to moving here in March, to starting ministry here in April, we're only a few months in, but we have experienced instant family. And I know that if you're a follower of Jesus, that many of you have experienced that. Yes? Have you ever met a Christian from, from another state, another country, and said, ah, something. It's family. It's not just something, question mark. It's Jesus. I hope that you have that experience as a follower of Jesus. And uh, so as we consider then these verses where Jesus says, hey, who, here's my true family. Those that do the will of God. Those that are followers of Jesus. This is my true family. So as we, as we look at these verses, I think it gives us an opportunity this morning to talk about the significance of a local church. And so 
honestly, the next few minutes is a little less me teaching you from the scripture, and the next few minutes is actually a little bit more of, I want to have a little bit of a family meeting, if it's okay. I want to have a heart-to-heart with you about the significance of the local church. Anybody remember how I greeted you this morning? What did I say? Besides good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning, church family. I say, it's probably the most common way that I'll greet you. Because uh, why is that? Because we have got to remember that if I said welcome to church, then I'm saying that church is a building. If I said welcome to church, I'd be communicating to you that church is a program or an event or something we go to. But when I greet you and I say, good morning, church, I'm saying, you're the church. The church is God's people joining in what he's doing. That's why I greet you that way, because the church is not a building. It's not an event. It's not a program. The church is people. The church is family. And if the church is about people, if the church is about family, then I got some rough, startling news for you then church is not all about you and me. Ah, darn. Rather than choosing a church, family, based on what we get out of it, instead of looking for a church by the leaders that I like better, by, instead of choosing a church family by which music is, more resonates with my heart language, We join a church to participate and to contribute to what God is doing in and through that family. Church isn't about us. We come, we participate, we engage, we contribute to what God is calling this church family to do and be. Are you with me? So so what other things then... If church is family, how else should that inform us? How else should that shape our approach to being part of a church? I think that if we consider church to be family, if we see that that's the way Jesus intended, I think that uh, it calls for us to make a substantial commitment to one local church. I think that if we see the church as Jesus sees the church as family, that we will make a substantial commitment, we will become members, so to speak, and actually, of one local church. Um, This is not just another business in town that we choose to go to for goods and services. This is not just a hobby that we come and go as we please. This is not just uh, a social club for our benefit. That's not what God had intended for church. And here's what I want you to hear, though. Because sometimes people start hearing about leaders and pastors like me talking about uh, membership and being part of a church and committing to one church. And sometimes I think when we start to hear that, we think, man, what's their deal? Why do they want to count people so much? And why are they trying to, like, claim me? No, there's a two-way commitment I want to tell you about. Becoming part of a church family is a two-way commitment, and the best way actually to, to do it is to put this verse on the screen. This is Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says this, Obey your leaders 
and submit to them. The Bible wants you, as the part of a church family, to obey the leadership that God has put in place of that church. Now, at first, it seems like a real awkward verse for me to stand up here and preach, right? Obey and submit to your leaders. But look where it goes. There's a two-way commitment. Why do we submit to them? Why do we obey them? Because they are keeping watch over your souls, and they will have to give an account. The leaders of our church... Our elders, our staff, our pastors, our many volunteers that serve Jesus, they do so for your spiritual benefit. Our elders govern our church under God's authority, and they will be held accountable to God for your spiritual health. Does that make sense? So, we're not asking for you to be part of one church family because we just want to, hey, we want more people, or we want to claim you. or We're not doing it because we think we're the only church in town. There's other churches in town that love Jesus and preach the Bible. It's not about that. It's about your spiritual health. And if you say, I'm in, if you're committed, if you submit to leaders, if you are engaged in one local church, then we know who we're responsible for. Right? But if you don't do that, if you just come and go, if you stay on the fringes, if you never talk to anybody, if you never commit, if you never join, if you never serve, if you never say, this is my family, I'm not responsible, I'm not going to be accountable, and our elders aren't going to be held accountable for your spiritual growth. You're not in. It's a two-way commitment. You commit to a church family, and the leadership of the church family commits to you. Make sense? And... um. If church is only sun, if, if, if church for you is only Sundays at 10:30, I want you to know you're missing out. I really think that, and not just because I work here. From my, all my experience in my life of being in churches and being part of church family, uh, God has so much more. For me, even when I am not on staff at a church, that's where I find spiritual growth. That's where God has brought mentors into my life. Um, that's where uh, I have found family when I didn't have family, particularly believing family when I didn't have believing family. Church family, we come together. It's not just don't do that, don't do that. It's no, do this. Be part of a church family. Have a place to worship Jesus together. Have a place to hear God's word taught. Have a place to use your gifts and the way God's made you to give of your time and your energy and your resources. Have a place to serve him and serve Jesus and serve others. Have a place that's family. That's what I want for you, is to have that. What else, how else should we be shaped? If, if, family, if, if church is family, what other impact should that have on the way we approach things? Uh, don't change churches lightly. Don't leave a church flippantly. Here at Faith Free, uh, it is great to see new faces out there every Sunday. That's great. Well, let's be honest. Almost all of you are new faces to me, but um, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but every Sunday at Faith Free, we're glad to see new faces. And if you're a new face here at Faith Free because you are new to Dallas or because you're new to going to church at all, we're stoked you're here. 
welcome. We want to help you meet Jesus. We want to help you grow in him. If you're a new face and you're here at Faith Free and you've been connected at another church family for a long period of time, you still may be welcome (laughs) and we love you, but we just want to make sure that you consider that very carefully. There aren't many good reasons to leave a local church. There are some, perhaps, not many, but we ought to be um, connecting with uh, our spiritual leaders, the leaders of our church, discussing this opportunity. You know, hey, I'm thinking about this. I'm not sure this is the place for me. Here's what God's doing. Talk it through with someone. Uh, That's an important part of being part of a church family. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you have a regular gathering of your immediate family or your extended family, I'm pretty sure you don't just stop showing up one day. If you do, man, woof. But if you have a regular connecting with your, your family, if you have an annual family reunion, if you're together every two months for birthday parties, you don't just stop going. You talk to someone. If you're moving out of town, you might let your family know. Right? So how do we approach our relationship with our local church? Like family. We talk stuff through. We seek wise counsel. Um, we make the decision prayerfully, carefully, etc. Uh, similarly, I, wanna, I would warn you against being part of several churches um, at the same time. Thinking that we can participate in more than one church at, all, at the time is, is pretty tricky. Faith Free doesn't offer every possible type of ministry to every possible type of person. So, and we won't try to have one of every kind of ministry. So there may be appropriate opportunities where a need in your family or something that God's doing in your life requires you to be at a different church family for a certain thing that God is doing there. That's possible. And again, consider that prayerfully and with counsel. Because on the other hand, buffet churchianity is not healthy. Treating uh, the the, the millions of churches in Dallas, (laughs) did I say millions? I don't know. Treating the churches in Dallas like a smorgasbord, did I say smorgasbord? Where I go here for a little bit of that, and I go here for that, and I like this guy over here, and I like listening to this person over here, but I like the music better over there. That's not family. That's not uh, committed. That's not good for your spiritual health. That's you being unknown by 20 churches instead of being known at one. See the difference? So Jesus is, so, so looking back at our text then, verse 31 and following, Jesus' comments about, hey, who are my mothers and brothers? That's initially a little startling. But he's not disregarding family. He's not disregarding that closer-knit family. You're not church family. Um, because I think in addition to the fact that when we become followers of Jesus, we gain all these other family members, our family members in Christ. In addition to that, I think followers of Jesus grow in loving their family members. I think that our best family relationships with the people we live with and that we grew up with, whether it be siblings or parents or, or cousins or aunts and uncles or grandparents, whatever, our, our best relationships with them come as we are transformed by Jesus. Followers of Jesus grow 
in loving their family members. Now, am, am I saying that your family is perfect? No. Mine? No. Families aren't perfect. There can be difficulties. There can be strained relationships. There's pressures that distract us from investing in our families that we live with and grow up with. But our best chance of being the kind of family member that God wants us to be is when we submit our lives to Jesus. When Jesus is changing us, when we're changed by his love, we're going to grow in our ability to care for and love and serve our family members as he desires. So not only when you follow Jesus do you gain family, but you you grow in your ability to love your family. And Jesus wants to help you with that. I think I'm a pretty okay dad. But I'm also acutely aware all too often of my failures, of my shortcomings, of my sin. Uh, When I don't believe the gospel, when I don't believe the good news of Jesus, and I think that my salvation, my relationship with God is all up to me and how I behave and how good of a job I do, then my failures in parenting drive me to shame and anger and frustration and sadness. But when I believe the gospel, when I believe that on my own strength I'm not good enough, but that Jesus is, when I believe the gospel that it's not about what I do, that it's all about what Jesus has already done, when I believe the gospel that God's love for me isn't dependent on my doing and and being a good person and being a good parent and being perfect all the time, when I believe the gospel that Jesus brings life to me now and forever, then I can rest in him. I can seek forgiveness for my sin and my shortcomings. And I see him helping me, carrying me, changing me, making me a new person from the inside out, giving me new attitudes and new desires and a new heart, new life now and new life with him eternal. Let me invite you to stand. I'd like to pray for you and I'd like to pray for me. Let's pray. Father God, you are a good and loving God. You are our heavenly Father. You are a God who doesn't stay far from us or removed or leaving us on our own. God, we are so thankful for you. We lift our eyes to you this morning. We worship you because you are a God who has come near to us. And God, your word says that that we love because you first loved us. So God, I just pray that we would just rest in that this morning, that as we as followers of Jesus walk with you as we experience your love poured out for us. God, I pray that as you love us, we would be enabled, empowered to love others well. God, help us to believe the gospel. Help us not to trust in ourselves or our own works or our own efforts or our own deeds. God, help us to put our trust in Jesus. God, we thank you for the love that you've poured out to us, and there's no greater way that you have shown us your love than through Christ's willingness to die so that we might live. God, while we were still stuck in our sin, you rescued us in Jesus. And God, we thank you for the love you've shown us on the cross. Help us to live every day, not on our own efforts, not hoping in what we do or how much we can earn your favor, 
But God, help us to live every day living by faith in Jesus, trusting in what Jesus has already done. God, thank you that in you we find family and that in you we have help loving our family. God, you have done it all. We worship you. And as we worship you, we want to love because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We need him always. One of the best ways that our great God loves you and cares for you is through the family that he's put around you. And, and if you are here at Faith Free this morning and you're not sure if you're a part of God's family and you, could, you need that family, I would love to talk to you, a Christian near you, anybody behind me. We would love to talk to you about Jesus and God adopting you into his family. We would love to talk to you about that. So, friends, uh, what do families do? Friends, families do a couple things. Families do chores together. So, in a, in a minute or so, we're going to need your help stacking chairs. But even more important than that, what families do is they love each other. So, I'm actually going to ask you to put off the chore for a couple minutes and spend some time connecting and saying hello and giving a fist bump or a hug to somebody near you, loving up your church family, and then we'll get to that chore in a couple minutes. Sound good? Hey, have a great Sunday and a great week following Jesus. Blessings.